Thanks, Dan. Morning, everyone. How are you all doing? So it is my pleasure to be kicking off a new, we probably call it a mini-series. It's, it's five talks, and we've entitled it, as you can see, Bringing Good News of Great Joy for All People. And today, I'm gonna, I've got the rather difficult task of kind of setting the foundation, setting the stall. You know, what's it all about? God's message to his world. It's a series about why we talk to people about Jesus. Why words and deeds, they're crucial in reflecting the hope that we have. And hopefully you're not surprised that as a church we are choosing to spend some time considering this, evangelism and mission. But you know, I wonder how often you actually think about the role of the church and and whether you can articulate only what we do, but why we do it. And so just to give you a fair heads up, I'm going to be painting in some fairly broad brushstrokes uh, this morning. I hope I'm going to bring some, some helpful, useful reminders. As I said, setting out our stall, there's going to be some challenge there too. A few practical points that have been helpful to me in the past. But I thought I'd just start by answering that question. That question is what the purpose of this gathering is. What's the purpose of this church? For what reason... Does it exist? And if you have been coming to the Oak for a while, you'd have probably heard three words. You'd have probably heard up, in, and out. Yes, have we heard those words before? Even if you haven't come to the Oak, you may have heard those. And this is just a simpler way of saying three things, which is number one, we exist. Why? For the ministry to God. That's the up. Yeah, worship. We're talking about the author, the sustainer of life, the one true God. We're talking about unique worthiness, he who made a way for us, both a rescue and a reality mission. And as I used to say many times as a boy in my church upbringing, it's our duty and our joy to acknowledge this in in worship of many kinds of varieties. We've just been doing sung worship But hopefully today it's about a vertical experience. Yes, a vertical encounter with the the living God. The Westminster Catechism, lovely reading, of 1648. I'm not not even joking, I love it. it. It says this. It says, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love those words. Our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So number one, it's ministry to God. That's the up. Number two, ministry to believers. That's the in, to nurture and equip. You know, what makes the bride of Christ, the church, beautiful? That's a big question, isn't it? And there are, there are lots of things, but I mean, we could talk about discipleship. We could talk about knowing the word of God in a dynamic way. It's one of the reasons why Mez and I wanted to do the marriage course, because we, think we felt that was important at this particular time. But a key role of the church is to strengthen and develop its believers with godly, with wise shepherding, so that the flock flourishes, and not just for the benefit of the flock, but for the benefit of those um, other people who we would come in contact with, which is the next point, and which is the one that's most pertinent to this series, which is ministry to the, the world. This is the out. So the next five weeks is about the out. And really we're talking about evangelism and we're talking about mercy. Where Wayne Grudem, he says this, this evangelistic work of declaring the gospel is the primary ministry that the church has towards the world. And yet 
we must acknowledge that accompanying this is a ministry of mercy that includes caring for the poor, the needy, and all done in the name of the Lord, the name of Jesus. And evangelism, for those of you linguists out there, I'm not one of them, it comes from two Greek words, euangelion, which means a good uh, a message, and euangeliso, which is to announce, to declare, to preach. And I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but I've always liked that word angel tucked in the word evangelism, because that's what we are. We are messengers. Those who practice evangelism are delivering a message, which is of extraordinarily good news. It's life-giving, it's transformative, and it has eternal ramifications. And so evangelism is proclaiming the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, which is God's power to save all who believe it and turn from sin to follow him. And the news remains the same. It's timeless. The gospel is the gospel is the gospel. And again, Dan mentioned it before, but if you want to know more about this gospel, then we are, as a church, running the Alpha course soon. And so I'd encourage you to come. Come to that. Come and find out more if you've got questions. And so going back to the church and its purpose, it's important, it's really important to keep those three purposes in balance. And I think to start with, to say from the very often this series, it's important that we view evangelism in, in, in broadly uh, it's kind of in a, in a similar way because it's, it's about word and deed in equal measure. That's important. It's about both promoting and proclaiming the gospel and fundamentally it's about the work of the Spirit. That's so important and that's going to be a big takeaway from the series. Andrew's going to be taking, uh, leading us through the last talk which is going to be about the work of the Spirit in all this. And I hadn't planned this, but you know when it's always nice when you have these God incidences because that last talk falls on Pentecost. And so let's be expectant. And uh, my prayer is that we'll be expecting for all of this series. For all of this series. And so, again, like I've said, setting out the stall. The next five weeks we're going to be talking about, we're going to be considering some of the bigger picture, which hopefully I'm going to get to today if I don't ramble on too much. Why we need to do it. Why we struggle. Why it's hard, but why it's worth it. How do we do it in our culture? That's quite a tough one. And as I said, how does this all relate to a spirit-filled life? And so, as I've said, I'm, I'm wanting to establish some foundations this morning. It's quite a big task. And I'm going to do it through three passages. So hopefully you'll follow, follow this. Hopefully it'll all make sense. And as I've said, there's going to be some fairly broad brushstrokes. But I'm going to start with Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Um, and again, when you read this, you're not going to be surprised why I've started with this. But here we have really the first announcement of God's promise to Abraham. Um, uh, the promise of a kingdom, bringing a blessing to all nations. So let's, let's read it together. It'll be up on the screen, but if you want to follow it on your phone or your paper copy, then great. So it says this, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. 
all people on earth will be blessed. You know, if you've read the start of the book of Matthew, you'll know that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Abraham. It's through this family tree that God would make his missional plans come to pass. You know, just as an aside, that family tree is fascinating. If you haven't read it for a while, go back and, go back and read it, because I think it's in itself reflective of God's heart for all. You've got kings, you've got foreigners, you've got Gentiles, you've got women, now contextually very important, very revolutionary. You've got prostitutes, you've got adulterers, you've got saints, you've got sinners. I feel like we could make this to a song, couldn't we? But we have clues. We have really strong clues about the kind of people that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come and save. And an obvious but important point, because I think we can all have a a New Testament lens at times. We can all be very Christ-centric. But Jesus is at the very heart of these words. That's important to remember, isn't it? These missional words. What does the book of John tell us in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and was truly God. In other words, this is Jesus who is talking. Jesus is part of that conversation, speaking to Abraham. And Abraham is not merely uh, a subject of blessing, but he's the medium of blessing to others. He will be dispensing good news. And this is a a, a key point. This is really where I want to go today, because where I want to go is that I want us to understand that this is the start of a golden, joyful seam of God's heart for the nations, for all people. And we read of it throughout the Bible. I mean, let's quickly fast forward to Galatians 3.14, where it says this, listen carefully. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, non-Jews, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so the blessing of Abraham was to unite divided families to change the curse. Remember the curse pronounced on the ground on the account of sin in Genesis, Adam and Eve. And he was going to change it into a blessing for the whole human race. This is the golden seam of God's heart. God, again, announces this throughout the Old Testament, but it's probably seen uh, most prominently in Isaiah. We see repeated promises of a king for his kingdom. We read that the Lord himself will come like a shepherd, gathering his, his, his sheep, his lambs. He will reveal his salvation to all nations. He will liberate his people from their captivity and exile from God and gather them into his kingdom. This is the golden scene. Remember that phrase, golden scene. This is the heart of God. And throughout that golden scene, there's word, there's deed, there's promotion and proclamation of this good news, which we, in turn, are called to. It's a universal principle of the Bible. And I just want to spend a little bit of time considering this. So one of the things you're going to have to get used to, which I normally don't do when I talk, is I'm going to be diving into a few areas. So do bear with me. And so promotion, let's deal with promotion and proclamation for a little bit. Promotion is the wide-angle lens. This is the the come-and-have-a-look approach. This is what we've got to offer. Proclamation is avert. It's the explicit sharing of the gospel and what it has done for you. And it's what we're going to be doing this week in community group. This week in community group, it's all about testimony. Do you know, I always find personal testimony so uplifting and encouraging. So let me encourage you to prioritize community group 
this week. It's important to practice sharing your proclamation amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ who rejoice with you, for you, in your salvation. Do you know, I realized that apart from my wife, Mez, I'm not sure I know the testimony of my group. And so let's be sharing this week. Let's be encouraging each other. And in terms of foundational principles, I want to remind us that that the Bible is a whole range of activities that promote and proclaim Christ to the world, that draw others towards him. These include prayer. Do you know, praying that your friends and neighbors would come to know Christ is no less a promotion of the gospel than speaking to them about Christ. That's the power and the importance of prayer. And I think it's a really healthy place to start because you aren't placing all the trust on yourself. Now, my grandmother was blind and really unable to move for the last seven years of her life. And what did she do? She, She basically prayed all the time. She basically prayed all the time. She prayed earnestly. And I do, I felt the impact of that. Definitely felt the impact of that. But what else? We've got godly behavior. Talking about promotion here and proclamation. Financial assistance, the public praise of God. We've got worship. We've got answering people's questions. We've got things like the big Easter event. I heard great things about who let the dads out and conversations that were taking place there. These are all really important missional things. And you know, I've been asked the question, so what does this look like, Jack, on a really simple level? And so I I do want to chuck in a few practical points as well today. And actually, they come in the form of of questions mostly. I like to ask questions. So number one, my question would be, do you have any friends who aren't Christians? As we set out our stall, do you have any friends who actually aren't Christians? Number two, do our friends and family actually know we go to church? Do you know, I would say one out of two people ask a further question when you say that you're going to church. The usual ones I get, oh, how long have you been going to church for? Or the classic, where is your church? Friday night at cricket, I must have had that question about eight times. Oh, where's your church then? Oh, it's down there. I get to know this location really well. Third question, do we let our friends and colleagues know that we are Christians? You know, I observe Craig... Craig here, love this guy. And he, he did this in the park at the Big Easter event in such a lovely and easy way. And he was just chatting to a guy he was getting to know. And he just dropped in, into conversation something along the lines of, you know, God's had his hand on us as a family and with my business. That's all he said. Just dropped it in. And it stayed with me. And, and what had happened it was in a sentence, Craig had let this guy know that this relationship with God was unique. It it meant something. It was different. What about in terms of our our behavior, our deeds? Are we loving? Do we actually care? (laughs) Do we act with integrity? Integrity is important, isn't it? Do our deeds show this? And so all of these are explicitly connected in the Bible with advancing the gospel and winning people to Christ. They're all mission activities. And you know, it's likely that most of us are going to spend our time promoting, promoting the gospel. Unless we perhaps go to work for the church or we become a, a wandering evangelist who daily or weekly proclaims it, we're, we're going to be doing a wide variety of things that probably promotes the hope that we have, which we pray then gives us opportunities to proclaim. Promotion, proclamation. 
And actually, both of them need consideration when it comes how we how we package this. And that's going to be one of the things that the series we that we'll deal with. The gospel is timeless, isn't it? But our culture and our society. It fluctuates, it changes. And as I said, this is likely to be considered uh, talk four. Let's just think where we see this in the Bible. We see this with Paul, don't we? You think about Paul, does he say in 1 Corinthians 9.22, it says, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that uh, by all possible means I might save some. You may notice that when Paul speaks to the Greeks, he usually starts with the resurrection because it piques their interest. When he speaks to the Jews, he usually starts with scripture. And perhaps in our context, we might think about, okay, what would we start with with, with, with our Muslim brothers well, and, and sisters? We might start with, I'd probably start with Jesus. Why? Because they already believe in Jesus. Those of you who remember AJ, do you remember AJ, who I think is part of um, Grace City Church? We, I remember hearing AJ's testimony and uh, he was a Muslim, and, and Jesus visited him in, in, in a dream. And so he came to church to find out more, and now he's, uh, he's a Christian. But we need to be conscious of how we talk about this. This is, again, just chucking in some thoughts as we, as, we, as, we, as we set off. We've got to be careful about how we package the gospel depending on who we talk to. And what we need to be wary of is of when mission becomes disconnected from the gospel, which, which can happen. I mean, James spoke about this a few weeks ago, and I thought it was very helpful because deeds without gospel words and intentions are actually really easy. Really easy, because no one objects. Why would they? Church is doing a nice service in the community with no kind of offensive nature about it. No one's going to object to that. The world is less keen on evangelism because some will find it offensive. And balance is needed for the church here too. Because, you know, like I said, if the church is all about deeds with no gospel, it becomes a social gospel. I once heard a church leader say this, and these are quite hard words, so I'll leave them with you. But he said, this is akin to gently lulling people to hell. I'll leave that with you. But we can also have wrong intentions and make this about growth at all costs. Church becomes a recruitment agency. Evangelism becomes recruitment for growth. And the question is, are we empire building or are we kingdom building? So again, just a few little fundamentals to think about as we set off this series. But words and deeds usually take place at the individual and the relational level. Promotion leads to proclamation. So that's my first kind of digression. We're now going to come back to the golden seam. So let's come back in, the heart of God. And we're going to continue uh, with Psalm 96, which I just think is a brilliant psalm. Psalm 96, the heart of God. Listen to this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim, there's that word, his salvation, day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into the courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So I just want to draw out a few points from this. Again, we're talking broad brushstroke observations of God's heart. And actually, the first thing I want to talk about is the importance of one God. The importance of one God. Thanks, Rob. Do you know, monotheism, we could argue, is the Bible's most basic doctrine. And we see in this passage, what did we read? He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols. In other words, they're false representations. In other words, they're not real. It says the Lord made the heavens. He has complete ownership of creation. And then we have the capitalization of the word Lord. Did you pick up on that? Basically, that indicates the supreme oneness of God. And so let's mull on this for a second. Interesting thought. What has monotheism got to do with mission and the heart of God for people? How is it that the most basic doctrine in the Bible is also the fundamental idea behind promoting the gospel? Well, again, broad strokes here. But if there's just one God in the universe who has made himself uniquely known, which we believe he has, then everyone everywhere has a duty to worship that Lord and God. So why promote Christ to your atheist friend who's got the nice car, the self-confidence to match? I imagine we know quite a few of those, don't we? Not simply because they would be happier or more fulfilled with Jesus, but because in reality, your friend belongs to the one true God, the one true Lord. Why take the gospel to cynical retirees with a lifetime of worldly experience and probably the wealth to boot? Not simply because they're soon to face judgment, but because right now they exist for the pleasure of the one true God. Why send out and support missionaries to the Ukraine, to India? Well, not only because they need rescuing from God's judgment, as we all do, but because they too are creatures of the one creator, and he, he alone, deserves their worship. I wonder if you've ever thought about evangelism like this. Second point. I think Psalm 96 shows God, God's heart for all. God's heart for all. He is about as outward-looking as it gets. What do we see in Psalm 96? Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deed amongst all peoples. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. It doesn't leave it to question, doesn't it? These verses make it clear that this proclamation of salvation and of God's glory is for, for everyone, for all. Do you know, there are so many threads to the golden scene that the frustration with this for me is knowing that I've got to go so broad with this. But go and look at it for yourself. But let me just reel off some words that reflect this. From the Old Testament to the New, these phrases that we get throughout the Bible, which tells us of God's context of wanting all to know him. The one true God from Old Testament to New Testament. What we get is this. We get, for everyone, 
We get for all. We get for the world. We get for all people. We get for whoever. I mean, how generic is that? Whoever. We get God is not partial. We get every tribe and language and people and nation. We get the whole of creation. Are you getting the point? This is God's heart for his world, for his people, for his purposes. This is God's heart for all. This is the golden scene. What else do we get? And this is important. What else we get from Psalm 96 is the joy of salvation. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Do you know, when I read Psalm 96, I'm I'm not surprised at all that so many songs and devotions have come out of the words. They just radiate joy. They radiate praise. They radiate gladness. They radiate the desire for God to be known by all. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. And you know what, church? You can't give away what you haven't got. You can't give away what you haven't got. If you haven't got the joy of salvation in your heart and your soul, then it's really difficult to pass the baton on. This is actually my biggest, for want of a better word, my biggest prayer for this series and actually for this year, for this church in particular that we would know the joy of our salvation, the joy of restored relationship with Jesus. Here's a quote for you. A missionary is not someone who crosses the sea. A missionary is someone who sees the cross. A missionary is someone who, so is not someone who crosses the sea. A missionary is someone who sees the cross. We should be joyful that we are here as more than conquerors, that we walk closely to God and what follows or what should follow is an overflow of a burning heart Psalm 51 12 which David wrote this is my prayer for us this is my prayer for the Oak Church this season restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me If you're comfortable, can we say that together? After three, one, two, three. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And the context of that is interesting. Psalm 51, David writing. He's writing in the context of committing adultery and murder. And so I just want to throw this in. The more you have felt God's forgiveness, which David knew he had, the more you have felt God's forgiveness, the more you will desire to tell others about it. That's the heart of Psalm 51. And so the promotion and proclamation of of joy is so important. We can be grumpy followers of Jesus. We can. I can. And we can be really willing to promote and proclaim lots of things, but not necessarily about our salvation. So we go on to the next slide. These are two things that I've probably gone on about to some of you lot in here. I promoted and proclaimed the York Arms. Nicest meal I've ever had. <laughs> and I also bang on about Northumberland. I bet there'll be people in here, oh yeah, Jack's talked to me about Northumberland before. Beautiful place to go on holiday, recommend it heartily. 
But a question for this series, on a serious point, is what are we promoting and proclaiming to those people we know? Because the York Arms in North London, they're lovely, they're great, you'll get some great food there, you'll have some lovely walks. But they don't provide the answers to life's biggest questions. They don't. So what are you promoting, what are you proclaiming in your walk? We're going to go back to the theme now. We're going to go and jump ahead to the New Testament, and we're going to go to our last passage. And hopefully we're not going to be surprised by the last words that Jesus speaks to his disciples. And again, a lot of you will will know this, will have read this before. So we're going to Matthew 26, 16 to 20, which we know as the Great Commission. And it says this, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus was and still is the one for the many. Notice that the same voice that spoke to Abraham and said all people will be blessed through you, it's the same voice that says to Abraham, you're going to have the authority to say it and, and, and I will enable it. That same voice is now saying all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And I think we get an interesting reference here to to Genesis 1 when it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I think there's a link there. And and, and Jesus is basically saying, again, this refers to every part of creation, the creation that I made when I threw this all into, into being. And so the one true God has given universal authority to the one true Lord. And so we are to go and make disciples. If there is one Lord to whom all people belong and owe their allegiance, then that reality must be promoted everywhere. That's what we take from this. And it's important to frame this appropriately. So yes, we promote God's glory to the ends of the earth because of human need. Absolutely, we do. But moreover, because of God and Jesus' unique worthiness as the Lord of heaven and earth. Moreover, because of God and Jesus' unique worthiness as the Lord of heaven and earth. We're just going to have another aside now. And this is something that I wondered whether to bring today. And I feel it's important to, actually. I feel it's important to. Do you know, I've read those words, oh, many times. Many times I've read Matthew 28, 16 to, to 20. And there are three words I don't think I've ever really noticed before until I prepared for this. And then it hit me in the face. So I think this is for the church or some people within this church. And those three words are, but some doubted. But some doubted. I don't need to go into the details of this, but at the moment, Mez and I are are working with some people outside of church, some friends of ours who are experiencing Serious doubt. And this keeps cropping up. 
And so I just felt we can't ignore it, and this is the appropriate forum to talk about this. And so when you hear those words, but some doubted, and you think that might relate to me, I want to I tell you some things this morning, okay? I want to tell you that doubts are human. I want to tell you that questions are healthy. I want to tell you that you don't need to be ashamed because God loves you and he's big enough to handle your doubts. I, I want to tell you that you're not contagious. And what I mean by that is if you talk to someone about it, they're not going to catch your doubts. I don't think it works like that. I want to tell you that there's not a stigma about doubt in this church. And so if that is speaking to you, please don't do what some have done before and bury it. Don't suppress it because that leads to distance. It leads to distance between you and God. It also actually leads to distance between you and those people you probably would speak to about it. And so let me encourage you, urge you to speak to someone you trust. It might be someone in your life group. It might be a family member. Another option is the Alpha course. That's a safe forum to come and ask questions. It might be that you just need to come and you need to hear the fundaments of Christianity again and talk through them. But don't leave without having spoken to someone or, or put a plan in place. I felt it was really important to say that this morning. But let's just come back to the Great Commission. Because this is something we have to respond to. You may have heard of Kevin Carter. No relation, he was South African. But I came to know his story through a song by the Manic Street Preachers. Those of you who are similar age to me, you might remember that song. And Kevin Carter was a photographer. I don't know if you know this story. And he'd been taking photos in the Sudan during the famine of 1993, a horrible time. And whilst snapping away taking photos, he came across a child. And that child, with a bloated tummy, skeletal, flies buzzing around its head. We've seen photos like this, very hard to look at. And this child was trying to crawl on its own to a feeding station nearby. And whilst Kevin Carter was standing there, a vulture flew down close to the child. I think we've got a picture. And this photo, this photo made the cover of Time magazine. It, w it won Kevin Carter a Pulitzer Prize. It made him famous and it made him rich. And two months later, he drove to the town where he grew up. He parked his car at where he used to play as a boy. He attached a hose to the exhaust pipe and he killed himself. You see, Kevin Carter had been asked the same question hundreds of times. What happened to the child? What happened to the child? And he had no answer. And in regret and guilt, he killed himself. So what's my point? My point is that we cannot just moan or despair about the situation of our world, our community, how lost people are. We are to respond. In word and deed to promote, to proclaim, to be obedient to the Great Commission. It's not enough just to be bystanders. It's not enough.
And so I really wanted to set the tone for the series. And those things are the joy of your salvation. Let's be praying into that. Let's be praying into the impact of the Holy Spirit. Let's not forget, you know, this is where we've been kind of been brought to as a church, haven't we, in our community groups, that reliance on the Holy Spirit. Let's be praying a people who pray. Let's be wanting to promote so that it'll lead to proclamation. And let's remind ourselves all of this is within the backdrop of that golden seam of God's heart for all people to know him as the one true God. And so as Faye comes up, I want to encourage you during this series to ask yourself some questions. I want to encourage you to ask yourself some questions over this series and indeed thereafter. Am I making enough time in the day for the Spirit to speak? That's question one. And I'm not talking just about what the Spirit might be saying to you for other people. I'm talking about the Spirit edifying you. Your relationship with God. Let's be pursuing reliance on the Holy Spirit. Let's be asking the Spirit to lead and show you the way to people. Like I said, Andrew's going to be talking more about the role of the Spirit in the final talk of this series. But the fact these guys, it permeates all of these talks. You need to understand that. Number two, dead easy. Could you be more intentional about your words and deeds? Could you be more intentional about your words and deeds? And my last question, and it's, I ask this gently. Are there areas of your life where you're simply wasting time? That's for you to answer. Are there areas of your life where you are wasting time? And so, I hope you come to community group because testimony is so powerful. Come this week and hear the initial story of that joy of salvation when you first met Jesus. Let's build each other up. Let's encourage each other this week and in this series. But let's keep going back to the joy of salvation and the Holy Spirit and that seam of God's heart for all people. And so just before Faye leads us in response, I'm just going to pray that prayer again over us. I'm going to say it twice. So you may want to close your eyes you may want to put your hands out do what you're comfortable with but this is my prayer for us for this season psalm 51 12 oh lord restore to us the joy of our salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.